Welcome friends. We are your hosts, Sandy and Wade, baby best friends turned husband and wife and business partners. This podcast is for the dreamers, the movers and shakers, and those who seek to attract their dream life. Strap in, getting magnetic in three, two, one. Like attracts like. If you see it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand. You just decide what it's going to be, who you're going to be, how you're going to do it. And then from that point, the universe is going to get out your way. This moment in time, this is your time to rise. Okay, so this series, this episode specifically, and our birth series is about starting a family. And when you think about being parents, you think about taking care of your children, right? And obviously that's with time and attention, but it's also financially. And one of the best things that we've found to build a legacy and really create a financial barricade around your family is this financial vehicle and instrument called infinite banking. And we did a podcast episode specifically on that, but it's basically setting up your own bank for your own family. It is pretty much a guaranteed 5 to 6% dividend, but it is, and it's also life insurance, whole life insurance, but it allows you access to it. I can't get into all the details, but we're going to drop a link in the show notes for a webinar on what infinite banking is and the podcast episode we did on it. And if you're interested, connect with us and we can connect you to our infinite banker. So today's episode is brought to you by Barry Brooksby and infinite banking, how to protect your family financially. Now let's get to the episode. We are so excited for this very special guest today. Today, we have a dear friend of ours, Melanie Bigda, on as a guest. And who is Melanie? So Melanie is a mother of three. She's a licensed midwife serving Orange County, California. Her journey into birth began with the birth of her youngest sister when she was 13 years old, which ignited a lifelong curiosity into pregnancy, birth, and babies. After the birth of her own babies, Melanie left a career in banking to go back to school and train to be a midwife. And the reason we have Melanie on today is because she was our midwife. Yes, she helped bring baby Cameron into this world. And we have such a deep love for Melanie. So Melanie, welcome to Getting Magnetic. Thank you so much for having me, guys. So happy you're here. Before we kick it off, I want to ask you, what does getting magnetic mean to you? Like when you hear that, what comes up for you? What do you, what comes up? Um, instantly like the law of attraction. That's kind of what I equate it to. So that's what I think I hear the the title of your podcast. Mm, I, love, I it. love it. All right. Help people understand for those that don't or might not have a full understanding, like, and we'll get into this in more detail, but we'd love to hear your story. But before that, like, what is a midwife? If you were telling someone like the elevator pitch of what a midwife is, like, what would you say? So a midwife is somebody who provides um, prenatal care and can provide labor and birth support and postpartum care and nursing and breastfeeding support for healthy, low-risk women who are seeking an alternative uh, care provider um, to, say, an OBGYN. Yes. And that's what Sandy, you know, and I did where you can go different routes, but instead of an OBGYN, we had Melanie as our midwife kind of doing all the same things. And we, and it was, it was a great experience. Yes. And for people tuning in that listened to last week, which was kind of our birth story and leading up to this, you heard the story of how at first we thought, okay, we'll do a birth center 
we'll do birth at a birth center. And then as time went on, we kind of evolved to more. So wait, I think home birth is for us. And we actually interviewed probably six or seven midwives before we landed on Melanie. And it was just a vibe. Like we just, we met with you and we were like, we feel like you're our person. Like it just felt safe and it felt good. And so we're so, so, so grateful for you. So I feel like our journey really began. I can't remember how far along it was when we started working with you, but for anyone, like you can start working with a client, like as soon as they get pregnant, right? That's when you start. Yeah. Start working with you before you're pregnant. Um, women uh, who are seeking like well women care, your your annual exams, well not annual, um, we now, ACOG recommends that we do them every three years, right? But your pap smears, your breast exams, we do those for women and we can do preconception counseling so we can start that early. Um, we can do all of the early pregnancy testing is available with your midwife. Uh, I think if I recall, you guys joined me about halfway through your pregnancy, which is not unusual. A lot of families find that they are still kind of searching for that right fit all the way up through that second part of their pregnancy when they're like trying to figure out what their vision for their birth looks like. Totally. So I would love to rewind and have you share your story, like how you got into this. Like, obviously you have a background in banking before <laughs> yeah. you went to midwifery, which is like completely opposite. Um, right. So I would love to know the story. Like what is Melanie's story? How did you get to be where you are? We're all about chasing passion on getting magnetic too. So like <laughs> any insight, you know, cause a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs listen to around like, you know, I, this is why or how, or I went for this, or I followed my intuition or whatever. And, and kind of also the background, like why midwifery for you? Yeah. Well, it, it, you're right. It's a huge 180 from, from banking. I kind of fell into that on accident. Uh, it was something that I really loved, but it was not something I was passionate about. I really loved the people and what I learned, but I was always way more interested in women's health. I was kind of like that person that my friends would go to when they had health questions or awkward, sensitive, weird questions, they would feel comfortable coming to me. And so uh, that kind of made me feel like the go-to person that could answer questions for people about like their sexual health or reproductive health, just because it was something that I was interested in and was always reading about it. What ignited me really was my, when my mom got pregnant with my little sister and I was 13. And so I had really vivid memories of my mom's pregnancy. And I remember my mom having book club and everybody's sitting around the dining room table and chatting and you get enough women together and they start talking about their birth stories. And um, everybody else's birth story sounded pretty scary to me as a 13 year old. Um, Some of the things that women experienced in traditional OBGYN care really made me uh, think twice about having a baby, Um, at least that way. But my mom's birth stories were a complete, contrast to that. They were empowering. She had this great relationship with her midwife. I really wanted that kind of experience Mm -hmm. for myself when I eventually had my babies. And so I sought midwifery care when I got pregnant and I had three beautiful out of hospital midwifery supported births and all of my friends and all of my colleagues at work were having birth stories that sounded like the ones that I heard when I was a kid. And I thought, this doesn't have to be this way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women deserve more choices, better options. So I left banking. 
I was a stay-at-home mom for a year and a half, I think, before I went back to school to become a midwife. Mm. Wow. How long is midwifery school? So uh, the program that I did was 36 months straight through um, with doing your uh, didactic and clinicals basically right on top of each other so that you're prepared to step into practice as soon as you graduate. Hmm. Pretty intense. Yeah, that sounds like all hands on deck there. So can you explain to someone like what is the difference for people listening between an OBGYN and a midwife? Like what can... What can an OBGYN do or a midwife do that the other can't? Well, an OBGYN is a trained surgeon and they are physicians first and foremost. They practice in hospitals and they are trained to deal with those complex cases, you know, and we're thankful for for OBGYNs and hospitals and all that they do. I'm never going to be the midwife that's Um, speaks ill of our neighbors and our colleagues at the hospital, but they do provide a completely different kind of care. Midwifery, by contrast, is a little bit more low-tech. We're out of hospital providers, and so we are trained in what's normal. We view pregnancy and birth as normal physiological processes, and so as long as everything is remaining within these normal parameters, then we can stay out of an hospital and not have to utilize some of those more um, uh, sophisticated tools. So you primarily work like you would do, you do home births, right? Like you don't work in. I work exclusively out of hospital where we call that community midwifery. So Mm -hmm. birth centers or, or home births. And I practice personally um, as a solo practice, I do home births. And you're trained as a midwife as much as let's say an OBGYN is trained in the kind of process of bringing a baby into the world, just not in the, you know, surgeon if there, or if there's like complications or it has to go to that next level, like, is it similar training or what's different or what's, what's overlapped? Like, well, I would say that the training is, is probably dramatically different because often physicians don't get to witness normal physiological birth in Mm -hmm. their, in their training. And then often um, in practice, they, they don't have the opportunity to, to see intervention-free physiological birth in a mm. hospital very often, just because it's a different kind of, of care. You've got a care provider that's usually working with multiple women at the same time who are birthing. And so it's a different, you're on the time crunch. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, when you've got your midwife in the birth center or in your home and they're the only, you're the only person that they're, they're worried about at that moment. We have time to wait for that placenta rather than doing a managed third stage where we rush things along. We've got time to help you with breastfeeding and do all of those things that like OBGYNs don't do. They, they just don't have the training. They're, they're trained in pathology. They're there when we've got more complex cases and we have things that are, are going wrong, right? That's what, they are good at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that was my understanding is like doctors that, you know, are trained for worst case scenario, like, you know, save someone's life or do emergency surgery or different stuff. And so in that training, they have to be so well trained to do that. And we're so grateful for Western medicine and the hospitals and doctors because they do of course save lives, but less of the emphasis is on, yeah. What is the woman's body, like going through into a, a kind of natural birth, like every woman's body is blessed with the ability to give birth. I shouldn't say every, actually, I shouldn't assume, but, you know, generally speaking, a woman's body is blessed to give birth kind of naturally. And a midwife is more kind of 
guides and leads and understands that process of, of not, not necessarily it being quote unquote, all natural, but like how yeah, an organic birth takes place versus the hospital is a little more like, okay, worst case scenario, we got to be prepared for this, this and that. And so that was like my general understanding. And if it gave me a lot of comfort in like, wow, okay, Sandy's body can do this. It was like built to do this. And a midwife is maybe more in tune with like allowing that process to unfold the way, you know, naturally or the way that it does versus a hospital is a little more like, okay, well, we have to prepare for this and that and worst case scenario and all the things and um, a little more trigger happy there too on like, okay, yeah, there's a timeline. And yeah, for me and from my business side brain is like hospitals are profit centers too. And it's like time in a, in a birth center and whatever is like dollars and ticking. And so there's like, okay, we got to go fast. We got to go fast, all these things. So we found a lot of comfort, I know, in, you know, in hiring you and having a midwife go through the process. Yeah, I always felt like working with you, you were always one of my favorite things. Like we're so patient with us, like when, especially towards like the end, when we would see you, like, I feel like it was every week, the end of pregnancy, meaning, Mm -hmm. um, just like sitting in your office and you just being like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, good. And then you're like, how are you, like, how are you really doing? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not okay. (laughs) Right. And so it was like, you would like listen and be there. Like, I feel like. And in a nice office and like in the feng shui place. was great, safe place. <laughs> yeah, this is a hospital, a little different, but. Yeah, it just felt because before we worked with you, we were with a birth center and it was fine. So but, midwives at a birth center. Yeah, yeah there's right? midwives yeah. at a birth center. So there are midwives in hospitals too as extensions. Yeah. Whereas when we worked with you, I felt like it was one-on-one care and so personal and so safe and like. I didn't feel rushed. And I felt like we were like your only, I know we're not your only client, but I felt like that. Like, I was like, wow, I feel so taken care of. And so like loved on by you. And for us, I feel like, especially as first time parents, it was so important to have that type of experience that just felt like it's just such a sacred thing. And guidance. So yeah, was in office, you know, 45 minutes or an hour and just talk and just ask questions or you guidance and we would leave feeling so yeah it's kind of safe and comfortable and guided and it's it was a great process well, so happy to hear guys i mean that's that's ultimately the goal midwifery is is relationship building right we are we are building a relationship so that when i show up at your house when you're in labor it's like oh my gosh thank goodness melanie's here like you are relieved to see me we've got a nice rapport. You're comfortable with me. I know what's normal for you. I know what's normal for your baby. We've built this relationship and we're really comfortable with each other. And there's a lot of trust there as well. That is the model of care that midwifery really, really focuses on is like individualized care, personalized care. That's what we, that's what we're striving to provide all midwives. I mean, even the birth center midwives, truly they're same thing. You know, they're just, they're busier, they're higher volume. Um, and they have a different, a different model, different, a different business plan. So we all, we all do things a little bit differently, but the goal is ultimately, um, to, to build that individualized relationship. And that's what I found the difference between when I had birth center care versus when I went with like an independent midwife in the difference between pregnancies was like that accessibility and that, um, attention was really yeah. And so when I decided to become a midwife, I decided that that was the kind of midwife I wanted to be. Totally. So how many years now then have you been a midwife? So I started my own practice in 2017, but I started my training in 2013. So how many births would you say you've been a part of? 
I'm I'm probably getting close to 400 now. I have to wow. alley up the year, but yeah. Wow, that is yeah. so amazing. Those are those are births I've attended as a student, as um, as an assistant midwife when I'm when I'm helping one of my colleagues with one of their clients, or as my clients. Mm. Wow. I love it. So, who I know midwifery can be for anyone, but who is it for? Like, if a mom to be or parents to be are thinking or asking certain questions, like who, who is it for? Who would you, who would you speak to it? Like if you were speaking to someone who's thinking about midwifery, how would you speak to them? Well, I would say that every birthing person deserves a midwife, even if you can't, even if out of hospital birth isn't necessarily an option for you, like everyone deserves to have that kind of attention and care in their pregnancy. So midwifery is for everybody. Sometimes if we are a little bit higher risk or we have some other, um, pre-existing conditions, we can work in concert with an OBGYN. And sometimes we can still be low risk enough for out of hospital birth, or sometimes you can be supported in a hospital by a midwife. So there are all different levels of care available to you. You can have a midwife, even if you're having a planned cesarean section, you can still get midwifery care throughout your pregnancy and you would absolutely benefit. Mm -hmm. I love that you highlighted that. It's not just for people that you know, are married to having a home birth. It can really, yeah. Yeah. Everybody serves a midwife. So I'm trying to do the timeline then. So you became a midwife way after you had your own babies. Yeah. My, my youngest baby was about a year old. We were still breastfeeding and co-sleeping. And, um, I was getting up in the middle of the night to go out to births as a student when I was getting started. So Yeah. Oh gosh. I remember you sharing your birth story with us because I asked, I wanted to know, and I can't remember if it was Penny. I can't remember which one of your children, but you, I think it was the second or third birth that you told me, like you ended up giving birth. Like it was like 45 minutes. Like the midwife didn't even get there in time. Right. Yeah. That's a precipitous birth. It does not happen that often, but it did happen to me. And it, it does give me a special level of empathy for the moms I serve who end up having similar situations and experience. Yeah. Yeah. That that's pretty unique. That doesn't happen all that often. Um, but yeah, after I had Penny and she was in a big hurry and the midwife was on the phone with us as she was racing down the freeway (laughs) to get to us in time. And my, mom and my husband were catching her. She, she got there and she kind of made the offhand joke, like, maybe if you guys have any more babies, you should take a couple of classes or something. And I was like, man, like I'd always wanted to be a midwife, but I, my life had just not taken the, that path. Like I had fallen into banking. I had, I was having babies. I was married and a homeowner. And like, I was set on this path. I wasn't thinking that I was going to like go back to school and change my entire career. And, uh, but then she said that I was like, Ooh, well, I mean, maybe, maybe I could, but it it took one more baby for me to really be like, yeah, no, I have to do this. I have to do this. Um, It's such purposeful work. Like I feel, I don't even, it's probably, it feels silly to even call it like a job or work. Cause it's like, you're literally helping like transform family. I don't know how to even describe it. It's so meaningful. Yeah, it's absolutely the most rewarding thing I can ever imagine doing. It's such an honor. Like every woman will remember, every person will remember what it was like the day they gave birth, right? Like you you might not remember all of the details, but you remember how you were made to feel, how you were treated. And 
it's an honor to even be invited into that space. It's a sacred space. And I really try to treat it that way. I, I love being in the birth space. It's one of my, my favorite things about midwifery, of course, like catching the babies, right? That's the meat and potatoes, but the prenatal care too, like you guys said, sitting in the office and, and chatting, like we're doing all of the exact same things that they're doing at your OBGYN visit, right? We are, we're measuring and we're weighing and we're checking pee and we're listening to the baby and we're palpating, we're doing your vitals and we're talking about nutrition and we're talking about how are you managing your stress and how is your mental health and how is childbirth education going and what questions do you have and how are you sleeping and we're getting you, you know, connected with chiropractic care, other complementary alternative medicines that might help you during your transition through parenthood. I love that. So I would love to pivot a little bit into how you helped us through our journey of birth. And it was a long one (laughs) and it was amazing. Um, And we shared this on the last episode, but I love, I mean, that whole time, it could make me so emotional, just like talking about that period of transitioning from final moments of being pregnant to like actually becoming a parent and like birthing our daughter. But I kind of want to go there like with our birth and Mm -hmm. like dive into some of that together yeah yeah so okay I'm trying to recall like you progress pretty quickly or your contractions were like pretty consistent not progress your contraction your waves or surges is what we call them them. (laughs) typically called (laughs) the verbiage waves or surges and they were pretty consistent pretty early on and then I remember, you know, we were up, they started at 8 p.m. We were up into the night and into early morning. And I think our doula came over first, Nicole. And then at some point we were like, we called Melanie, we called you and we were like, okay, here's where we're at. And she was kind of like, cool. All right. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to come over. I'll be there in 45 minutes or whatever. And that's, that's where it all began with, with, I guess for you on the path kind of when once labor started. Yeah. We were recalling, trying to recall the timeline. And it's so funny because it was only nine months ago, but it's like all such a blur, like how it all, you know, went down. But what I kind of wanted to like, I guess like focus on or like transition to was that period when you have to make that not decision or call, because it wasn't necessarily your decision, but after we'd been laboring at home together for a day or so, and we decided that it was a good call to, for us to switch over to the hospital and like transfer care or whatever. Like, I want to dive into that. Like, what is that? Yeah. Walk us through from your perspective, like when generally, and what happened for us is like, when is the time the midwife comes over for us? We are planning we were starting at home and having a home birth. That was the plan. And then kind of like our experience together, like, and how we kind of handled it and you handled it. And then, you know, how we ended up being like, okay, a transfer makes the most sense. Like walk us through from your perspective, all those things. Yeah. So um, it's not unusual for our first time birthing people to need a little bit of extra support. So you were making amazing progress. I do recall, like um, you didn't give me a heads up at night or maybe you did, but I did join you the next morning when you were about 411, which is when we're contracting every four minutes, they're lasting for a minute and they've been doing that for at least an hour. So every midwife and practice is different. They might have different parameters depending on like, you know, different things, but 
generally those are kind of the rules. Like we want you to be in a nice active labor pattern when we join you. A lot of that pre-labor can sometimes, if you're observed, there are too many people in the room, it can slow you down. And um, there's, as you know, that a lot of work ahead of you. And so we try to like pace ourselves, right? So we want to join you when you're active. And that's a time where you should be monitored and baby should be monitored because now we've entered that phase of active labor. So you're in, you are in active labor and making great progress. We even got you into the tub. But um, as I recall, we had, Cam was a little tacky. So that's when baby experiences a little tachycardia, their heart rate is elevated. So we're following ACOG guidelines at home. We're using a Doppler, we're assessing fetal heart tones we're doing every 30 minutes. And then when we have significant events, so say your water breaks spontaneously, or even if we're choosing to rupture your membranes, right? Like we listen to baby then too, or if we're getting in and out of the tub, we're checking baby's heart tones then as well. And as you were kind of acclimating to the tub, Cam wasn't super happy about it. So she, her heart rate was a little bit elevated. And so we got you out. I think we determined that she was posterior and so we put you in that dreaded knee chest position, attempting to try to get her to rotate. I know, no, nobody likes knee chest, but it, it is a really awesome tool. It's one of those spinning babies things that we do that kind of helps get um, a posterior baby, gives them that opportunity to rotate. It can also help us, you know, solve other positional things. So um, we tried that for a while with you. I know that we, we, we did a lot of um, spinning babies things throughout the day to try to get Cam to rotate maybe into a better position so that she could find her way down and out. Mm-hmm. But you were working hard the whole time, actively laboring, had been up all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the sunset that evening, I think that everybody was starting to get to the point where we were not worried, but like, these are the little red flags that were starting to deviate outside of normal. Right. And that is, that's part of my job. Like, um, we're the lifeguards mm-hmm. of, of birth. I really like that analogy that we can observe and look for normal. And we see something that's outside of normal. We can step in and kind of help correct it. Right. We got you out of the tub. We tried some positional things. We tried an IV to rehydrate you. We tried several different tools that we have at our disposal at home, but after multiple hours without any change, you were getting tired, baby. We want everybody to have the opportunity to rest. I, I don't want to force things. Nobody wants to force things, right? We're, we're out of hospital. We're not um, taking any unnecessary risks. Mm-hmm. And so um, when we, we reach that point where we've got a mom who's tired and just needs a break, you can't, you're in a place now where like we, we were saying sleep between contractions and you're like, huh, there's no way yeah. it can contraction. Because at a certain point, you just become so exhausted that you can't relax. You can't catch that break. What you do need is the tool of an epidural, which is a really valuable tool. We can't do them at home. I don't have an anesthesiologist in my back pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. So we go to our neighbors for that. But that is often the one of the things that we can do that that will help give you that little bit of rest, give you that break so that you can wake up with fresh energy and push out your baby. Yeah. And I remember it was, you know, Sandy is so in the zone of, of birthing and of labor that Melanie and I were communicating a lot. And so 
you know, we would connect and she'd be like, okay, she, here's where she's at. Like not to bring Sandy into any of the, the mind stuff. She's just got to, you know, be in her zone. And, but she also was like, I trust you, Melanie, whatever, whatever you think. And so it was cool to kind of, yeah, you're the lifeguard and, you know, you and I are talking through updates and stuff and not that there was ever any crazy urgency or anything like scary, but just overall, you know, 24, 26 hours in, it got to the point where like, okay, baby and mom are pretty exhausted. Like they're probably going to benefit from getting an epidural from getting rest basically, which an epidural is going to help with. So, you know, it, it's, I think it might be time to transfer. And then it was like a swift, quick decision. And Sandy was like, I trust you. Okay, here we go. But there was never like, like any Sandy led to believe anything scary was happening or anything. And it was all like private conversations. And even those private conversations, nothing was scary, but I also love too, that it was also like, I know your guys birth plan and preference is to do this at home. And so we have a tub and we have all these different things and the baby's posterior, meaning what is it? Sunny side up. Is that what they say? Or I forget. Yeah. And meaning it flipped and maybe in a hospital situation, it might be like, Oh, we might have to do cesarean or reverend. It's like, no, let's, there's exercises, there's positions, there's way where we can correct this and write this. There's nothing drastic. And it was kind of all handled. So fluidly and with certainty, but also gently at the same time, which I loved. And then it was like, okay, it's time like to transfer, like let's connect with Sandy on this, but that's like my recommendation. And we kind of went from there. Yeah. And I love that you, I felt like it was so calm. Like when I reflect back on all of it, I never felt any like anxiousness or I, I didn't feel scared or like any negative emotion at all. It was just like, okay, you did a great job and you've advanced a lot and this is an option for you. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And you made it so easy. And you, I think you called the hospital and let them know. Yeah. yeah, We were coming in and it was just like this smooth transition. And that's when you got, you like what transfer care or. Yeah. Yeah. So that's normally how we, we do it. I say normally, that's how we had to evolve to do it in COVID, unfortunately, because of the restrictions on who could join you in the hospital. There was a time where we could not go with you. Uh, Prior to that, it was our preference to at least go with you to the hospital and be with you at least until you had that epidural on board. And then we could like tuck you in and wave and say, okay, call us when you're pushing. And then, you know, hopefully join you when you're pushing as a support person, because we're no longer in that provider role once we've transferred care to the hospital. Unfortunately, COVID and restrictions made that not really much of a possibility during the time. It looks like things have changed and we are able to kind of go in and escort our clients now more, which does make the transition a lot smoother. Even in COVID, we were we were making it work. Like we we call, we give rapport, we speak to the nurses and the OB there. We let them know what's been going on. We communicate, we fax all those records over. So we try to make it as seamless as possible. And then, like for you as as the birthing person who's laboring, you know, we're we're never like rushing away and like who over in the corner hiding and trying to not share with you where we are, but we are trying to be respectful of not giving you things to be mentally distracted about when you're in that active birthing place. And so 
everybody on the team, Wade and Nicole, your doula and your sister and my assistant midwife, you know, we're always keeping each other abreast of like what our thoughts are, right? Like, why don't we try this? Or why don't we give her this option or whatever it might be. Um, but we're, we're always trying to like, you know, have our little conversations and then, and share with you as much as we feel like you are ready or willing to hear or want to hear, you know, we're not, uh, bombarding you with like tons of scary information about like, Hey, well, you know what? You're on a clock. You're not making great progress. We're, we want to see a baby sooner rather than later. I'm thinking we got to go into the hospital. Like we're not coming at you with these suggestions. We're letting you know, we've got options, right? We're having these conversations a little bit at a time as they feel appropriate and kind of working our way up to it as we see things kind of start to fall a little bit more outside of normal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, um, a lot of the criticism of birthing in a hospital is right. Like you're on that time clock. Like you've, you've got to be, if you're not making progress, a certain amount of progress in a certain amount of time, like then we're going to do things to you. Right. Like that's, that's not really fair. I do see that in the hospital, but just to backtrack again, the, the midwife as the lifeguard, when we see things that are outside of normal, we don't want to ignore them. I had a, um, a, a midwife mentor that said that we don't practice wish midwifery. Like we don't like just wish away the things that are like, oh, well, she's not progressing. It'll be fine. Like, no, we, we are still actively managing these things and making sure that you're, you're doing well and the baby's doing well. And then we're correcting those things as we can, right? Oh, a little bit tacky, try to get baby back to normal. We get back baby back to normal by giving mom an IV or getting her out of the tub and getting the temperature back down. Like we can, we can address things outside of hospital, but then, you know, as the, as the day wears on and mom's energy starts to wane, we, we have to offer other options just so that everyone is aware of all of their choices and that we're keeping everybody safe at the same time. Yeah. I love that. Um, I just have, it's funny because at the time I just remember just going through it. Like I don't really remember feeling a whole lot of emotion about it, but then after like, I don't know, maybe two days or so after she was actually born, it like hit me that, oh my gosh, like, okay, I'm grateful she's here, but like I had so much like shame and embarrassment that I didn't have my like home birth. Yeah. Like, there was like that feeling of like, I almost felt like, wow, am I just like, do I have this illusion that I'm like stronger than I am? Like, it was this like, I don't know how to describe it, but kind of like, like it was a mix of like embarrassment and I don't know, a lot of like negative emotions. That well, there's a lot me. of like work and prep you did to prepared for a home birth so there you know totally. might have been a certain level of expectation in your mind of like I'm gonna do this and then when it doesn't happen yeah I know one thing that I love that you said was like Cam Cameron's first lesson to me is lessons are patience and flexibility patience because there's a long labor 48 <laughs> hours and flexibility because while I thought it was going to happen at home it actually ended up happening at the hospital and that wasn't a bad thing but just like mom, nothing, not everything's always going to go exactly how you think or plan it. Like, yeah. but at the end of the day, you're going to get the the result with a beautiful, you know, baby girl. It just might've been different than the way you planned it. So I remember that being one of the, 
one of the first, one of your first realizations, you know, a few days after, which was, totally. was a beautiful kind of. And I'm so grateful for the way it happened. And like, I am totally going for another home birth with you, Melanie, when that time comes again, like, I do think it was one of those things of it being like the first time. And I really should have listened to the get as much rest as you can. But I was like so excited and like adrenaline. And so for anyone listening, really, really, though, I feel like resting as much as you can, getting as much sleep as you can. Because honestly, I think if I wasn't so exhausted, I probably could have done it. But I also have so much like gratitude and grace. And like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to identify the right word, but... I am proud that like, I could have like been really stubborn about it and been like, no, no matter what I'm doing this at home and who knows, it could have been another like two days or something, but like kind of letting my guard down and my pride down and my ego down and being like, Hey, I did the best that I could. And, um, I almost felt like you gave me permission of being like both of you, but you guys being like, Hey, this is an option. I didn't feel like embarrassed or like, you can do this if you want to, or like, it was very much like, these are these, we can continue doing what we're doing here. We can do this. We can do it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to opt in for the, um, hospital option. So, and I remember asking you like early on or like when I was still pregnant, like, okay, what are the statistics? Like how many people like transfer to the hospital or like how many things have you got had like go wrong or not as planned or, and you just navigated that conversation so beautifully. You're like, honestly, like, every transfer ever is because mom's tired. And I was like, I remember hearing that at the time and being like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm not going to get tired. I have so much energy. <laughs> it, it's yeah. about 12 to 15%, give or take, depending on the practice and the year, we expect some of those um, birthing people to need additional assistance and support uh, because their labors are longer. and. Yeah. I, I really, it breaks my heart when I hear someone say that they have any shame around transferring in and accepting help because it's like you, you wouldn't have any shame about asking for help for, for anything else, right? For if you need help, that's, that's where we go, whether it's, you know, we've got to, you go to the hospital because we need help with something other than having a baby, right? Or if it's just like, Hey, our neighbor has a tool that we don't have, like, why don't we go ask for help? That's that's all we're doing when we're going into the hospital to get an epidural, to get some rest, to get some pitocin. Like that is they're not the they're not the bad guys, right? They are they're our friends. They they're there to help us when we when we need it. Yeah. Love it. So let's say someone is thinking about getting pregnant or close to or or newly pregnant or even in their pregnancy like we were walk them through if they're listening like kind of the the process of working with with you or a midwife but like kind of your process from like kind of start to finish because I know like it didn't end when Cam was born like we there's postpartum support you know we you had check-ins with us like so what does the whole kind of process look like working with a midwife and you know specific to you Sure. Well, specific to me, but probably not necessarily unique would be uh, a little bit more of a comprehensive model of care, right? Like we talked about, it's not just doing the vitals and measuring the baby and, and asking a couple of questions. Like we're doing really lengthy, holistic visits, talking about all the good stuff, right? That we see each other on the same schedule that we, that you would see in OB. So we're doing 
monthly visits till about 28 weeks and then every two weeks until we're 36 weeks then we usually have your 36 week birth conference at your house that way we can kind of work out all of the logistics of the birth and then we see each other weekly until you go into labor uh usually between 37 to 42 weeks is what our scope of practice allows for out of hospital birth for low-risk women and the vast majority of women will spontaneously go into labor within that window. Um, so we then support you in labor and birth. And then we come back and visit you at home for those initial visits in the first couple of days. Uh, there's an old midwife adage that we want you in the bed, on the, on the bed and around the bed for like five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days around the bed. So give or take, you're basically planted for two weeks in your bed, taking care of your baby, recovering. So we come to you for those postpartum visits and see you. I usually do a day one and a day three and then a two week at home. And then after two weeks, we are back in the office at four weeks and six weeks. And that's officially when my scope of practice is supposed to end. But often I find that I'm providing support even in the weeks beyond that. And I, I really like being a resource for, for families uh, yeah. through first for first year. You're like, Cam knows his stuffy. Is this normal? <laughs> and you just we comfort you so us. Yeah. Like and pictures. pictures. <laughs> yeah. um, and, that's what and then eventually... You'd be like, can you send me a picture of Cam, please? She's growing up. I need to see her. <laughs> I remember you taught us the 555 concept. Mm -hmm. I had never heard that before. And we totally honored that. And I'm so grateful for that because I feel like, especially in today's day and age, our society is so like, go, 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 achieve, 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 produce, 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 be productive. Bounce back. Get right back to normal. Like that is the, the pressure on moms. And it's it's not fair. Uh, you don't get this time back. That's what I keep saying to everybody. You, your baby is only a newborn for such a short period of time. Your body just did some miraculous work and it's still doing it. Not, I mean, like you were growing and supporting your baby with your body on the inside and then you labored and birthed your body and now you're breastfeeding if that's your plan, right? So now you're still supporting your baby with your body on the outside, plus you're recovering from birth. And so you do need to be given that time and that space to recover. I love that like 40 days of lying in tradition. It's not always uh, something that is easily done by a lot of families today. But if we can get those first two weeks, if you can stay at home and stay in bed and off your feet as much as possible, I really think there's a huge benefit to the entire family. But I remember you explaining like that there's a dinner size plate wound. Oh on, yeah. Yeah. On my, where exactly where, on my inside somewhere, like where the placenta was. Yeah. So on the inside of the uterine wall, where the placenta was that, that placenta is about the size of a dinner plate. And so, uh, us midwives, we love giving this, this talk when we're showing you your placenta and saying like, look, this, if you had this wound anywhere on the outside of your body, you'd be milking it for all it's worth. You'd be yeah. staying up and say, honey, could you bring me this? And oh, could you get me that? You would be taking your recovery seriously because you could see the wound and you would know. But when it's on the inside and we kind of, you know, just like, oh, I'm okay, I'm fine. I'll just get back to normal. I can't see it. It's out of sight, out of mind. And so we try to like go back to our normally daily, normal daily activities. And yeah. 
that's not a, that's not reasonable. You need that time to recover. Yeah. Speaking of placenta, you did something fun with mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was fun for me. You guys did that together, actually. Well, I just looked, she did it, but (laughs) I watched this part of the show. (laughs) The placenta is, uh, it's fascinating to me. I mean, some people might be like that. I can't handle that. It's gross, but like, it's this whole it was basically cams, you know, nutrients, right? Like, and to correct me if I'm wrong, but while, you know, in, inside Sandy's, you know, womb inside her body, and then it comes out, it's almost like a second birth. I, I know it's a lot kind of easier, simpler to use that yeah. term, I guess, but, and then it's there, but it has all the nutrients to sustain life. So you, you recommend there's a lot of good hormones in it. To yeah. Chat. And what did you do with the placenta? Like explain the, that. The, the placenta is, is baby's home, uh, for, for lack of a better term, uh, during the pregnancy inside of the uterus, the Mm. placenta is attached to the uterine wall. And then all of baby's nutrients and oxygen are coming through the umbilical cord. And so when the placenta comes out like this, this beautiful organ that you grew uniquely just for cam, um, it has value. Uh, a lot of people, though it, they may be a little squeamish to consider it, uh, most mammals consume their placentas immediately after birth, right? It's It's got all these iron stores in it. It's got your own hormones. Um, it, it makes sense uh, from that standpoint to consume it, but we're, we're humans and we have like this, ew, gross, it came out of me. I don't want to eat that. <laughs> We have in and out. There are people are like, we have in and out. Why would I eat my placenta? Placenta <laughs> is way healthier than in and out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it had all these nutrients, but and and hormones, uh, yeah. and they're your hormones, and they they belong inside of you. And so what we do is we can separate the membranes and the cord and all of the the pieces of the placenta that have no nutritional value. And then we take just the fleshy cotyledons, just like the lobes of the placenta itself, and we can blend them in your lovely blender and then pour them into ice cube trays. And then that will allow you like individual servings to throw into a smoothie for your first week or so postpartum to provide that extra energy and support that like even a normal healthy birth has a a small amount of blood loss that we anticipate. And so like this is replenishing those iron stores. This is giving you hormones for, to support your breastfeeding. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of really good studies and evidence that we can point to for it. So a lot of it is just anecdotal, uh, but it is something that I recommend to those who are open to it. A lot of uh, families also choose to encapsulate, which is, an, is another great uh, thing that you can do with your placenta. Uh, but I, I do recommend considering using it. Yeah, I think Sandy it's let so, me have a few sips. Yeah, you it's tasteless, right? Yeah, I didn't you taste can't, anything. In a smoothie, you can't taste anything. I just find it fascinating, like you said, that every pretty much every mammal like consumes their placenta right after. Like a wolf gives birth, and it gives birth to its cub, then to the placenta, and then it eats the placenta right right away. Yeah, humans don't do that, but and we're a mammal. Um, but this is a way to do it, and there's so many good hormones and you know, stuff in there. So, did you find? Maybe it was placebo, maybe not, but didn't you find like kind of an energy boost from it? I did find energy boost, but I wasn't sure if it like, I I, I was like, is this mental? Like, I don't know, but I like looked forward to it. I was really squeamish and like kind of freaked out the first few times, but it literally just tasted like a normal, the normal shake I would drink. And it's only because it's a weird concept. It honestly looks somewhat similar to like 
venison or bison or even a raw steak that you're just kind yeah. of chopping up into cutlets or yeah whatever and so it's just a, it is a weird concept but it was cool and who knows there wasn't any downside to it and there might have been upside with energy and hormone balance and all the things so that, yeah. that was cool. I know a bunch of people were like I can't believe you drank the placenta it became like a whole thing as we put on social media but that was that was funny but you just opened my eyes to so many things. Like, I feel like I wouldn't have known about, you know, the five, 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 or even the option to consume my placenta postpartum or I just For first 40 days. Yeah. I wouldn't have known so much of this stuff if we didn't have so much quality time with you and those opportunities to like ask so many questions and just have that one-on-one time with you. So we are eternally grateful for you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Melanie. Yeah. How can someone that's interested in working with you get in touch with you. What's the best way to get a hold of Melanie? Um, you can find me on my website, originsmidwife.com. Nice. Love it. Thank you so much, Melanie. We so appreciate your time and just all your wisdom and expertise and just being open and being willing to share here today with us. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My honor, guys. Love you. Thank you so much for having me. Only those that can see the invisible can do the impossible. So remember... You are magnetic.